Uh, the reading is from John chapter 15, uh, beginning at verse 1, and I'm reading from the NIV. John 15, beginning at verse 1. I am, <clears throat> excuse me, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit and yet unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Heavenly Father, your word is more precious than much refined gold, sweeter than honey to taste, a light to our feet. Would that be our experience this afternoon? Would you show us what it means to be branches in your vine? And would we desire it above all things? And would you teach us to abide for Jesus' sake? Amen. That very first sentence, what do you notice? What is unusual or unexpected? I am the true vine, says Jesus. Of course, we want to say, what does this vine image mean? Jesus assumes that that's obvious to his first uh, hearers. And, and he's really wanting to distinguish himself from false vines. So let's start with our question, then we'll get to Jesus' question. What is the vine? Uh, back in Isaiah chapter 5, God introduces the image of a vineyard to describe his people, Israel. Um, he plants them on a fertile hillside with the best soil, uh, walls around them, hedges to protect them from wild animals, uh, towers so they can see invaders coming, a wine press to produce wonderful uh, wine, everything you need for the for the vineyard to flourish. Uh, God looks for his people to produce the fruit of justice and righteousness. And the word in the Hebrew is stink fruit. They produce corruption, uh, bribery. They don't care for the widows and the orphans. They ignore God. They become wise in their own eyes. Uh, they take the things that God calls evil and declares them to be good. And Jesus comes along and says, I am the true vine. See, the shocking claim of Jesus here is that the people of God is being reconstituted around him. He's the real people of God, and you're only part of uh, God's club, God's family, if you're connected to Jesus. It's a very exclusive thing to claim. If you want to be in with God, you have to be in Jesus. And there's a second shock here, I think. See, what God demands from the church is exactly the same as what he demanded of Israel back in Isaiah chapter 5. Have a look at verse 2 with me. Um, so that it will be even more fruitful. Verse 8, it's to the Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Uh, it, 
Jesus is looking for good fruit, not stink fruit. He demands that we call good good and evil evil. He, he demands that we're not wise in our own eyes, but in his eyes. He demands that we pursue justice and righteousness. I don't know what your experience has been like. We've been doing quite a bit of gardening in lockdown. And we found uh, in our overgrown flower beds, there have been several old bushes and trees that have actually died. You can't quite tell unless you, you dig around and find that the roots have, have rotted away. And, and there's just there's just a stump and, and some branches that have become intertwined with the living bushes and living trees. Uh, these these dead wood, they, they, they look alive because of the, 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 the branches intertwined with them. But they don't produce leaf or bud or fruit. And I've had great fun taking them all out and uh, storing them in boxes ready to burn them in the winter. They're not used for anything else. And so it is in the church, says Jesus. Have a look down with me. At verse 2, there are branches that produce no fruit. Uh, some of those branches might even be clergy in the Church of England, for example, where, where I minister. But Jesus says if they produce no fruit, if they call evil uh, good things and good things evil, if they are wise in their own eyes, then God the Father will see them for what they are. He is the gardener, verse 1, and he will remove them. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And verse 6, they'll be gathered together and, and burnt, much like the tinder that I have been storing up for the winter. But there's more, isn't there? Because there are also good branches that need pruning. These are branches that have real spiritual life in them. They're not perfect, but they're fruitful. Like the roses in our garden, they need deadheading from time to time so that the, the energy in the plant can be, can be put into producing uh, abundant fruit in the right place. So you remove the, the bits that are, are distracting the plant from growing in the right way and producing fruit. Uh, so notice, please, would you, that the church is always a mixed bag. You might be somebody who's not yet a Christian who's looking in at, at, through Christians in Parliament at, at what the church is. And Jesus is really clear, isn't he? When you look at the church, some of the, the people you look at are actually dead branches. And all of the people who are like living branches are branches that are in the process of being uh, refined and disciplined and built into uh, more Christ-like characters. So we have to expect the church to be faulty in places. More on that in just a moment. But this isn't a gloomy passage. Uh, there is a glorious conditional guarantee, isn't there? Did you notice that as Nathan was reading for us? Uh, the condition is pretty straightforward, isn't it? Remain in Jesus. Some translations say abide in Jesus. If you remain in me, says Jesus, if you dwell in Jesus uh, and the promise uh, that's based on that condition is there, isn't it, all the way through. You will bear much fruit. That's a guarantee. If you remain in Jesus, you will be fruitful. And actually that fruitfulness will bring glory to God. Verse 8. It is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. So the question that must surely be pressing on us this, this afternoon is, how do we abide in Jesus? 
if there can be no good fruit without abiding in Jesus and a guarantee of abundant fruit if we do abide in Jesus, then how do we abide? How do we remain in Jesus? And I think it's quite straightforward. Please would you notice the parallel between verse 5 and verse 7. So verse 5, if you remain in me and I in you. The parallel text, verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. See, it's the same condition, which is followed by the same promise, uh, expressed in two different but complementary ways. We have to remain attached to Jesus with his life-giving essence, his spirit flowing through us. So then we have to allow his words, because they're life-giving words, to remain in us. Uh, not to do what the people of Israel did in Isaiah 5 and, and ignore God's words or forget them or throw them out when they're inconvenient. Uh, notice verse 3, which as I was preparing for this, I thought it seems a very odd verse at first glance to, uh, to have in this text about vines. Uh, he says, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. But that makes loads of sense, doesn't it? If it's Jesus' words that need to remain in us, these are life-giving words. They're words that have purified us if we've believed them. And they're words that if they remain in us will produce abundant fruit. The words of Jesus are life-giving and life-sustaining. Let my words remain in you, says Jesus. And that doesn't mean that we, we read the Bible as a book of rules to know what is right and wrong, although there are rules and they are really helpful. See, if we just try and take rules and, and, and do them and, and screw ourselves up into, into really working hard, that's, that's fruit stapling. That's going to the market and buying apples and, and taping them to the, to the branch rather than producing it out of ourselves. To produce good fruit from within, from the life that God has worked in us by his spirit. It means having our minds and our hearts as well as our deeds transformed by the gospel. It means understanding what Jesus tells us about who God is, where the world comes from, why sin is such a problem, who Jesus is, what he came to do, who we are and how we fit into this wonderful overarching story of God and the gospel and also where we're going in the end. It means really being so captivated by Jesus so enthralled by his beauty as the only perfect person who's ever lived that we slowly but surely start to love what he loves and hate what he hates and so we start to produce fruit according to those new loves so that we know how to call evil evil so that we know how to act wisely according to god's terms not our own well, of course, there's so much more to be said, and I've got a limited time. And I hope, Claire, I'm not overrunning at this point. But I want to um, to offer you a clear primary application of this passage and then a secondary application, which I think is particularly relevant to you guys who work uh, up in Westminster. Uh, the first is very clear, isn't it? Uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples about how to live as his people once he's gone away. So if you desire to be a Christian while Jesus is in heaven, this is not optional. This is the Christian life. You can't be a Christian without doing what Jesus says here. 
if we remain in Jesus and his words remain in us, then we don't need anything else because he himself will shape us into his image. So the question for you is, how much of Jesus' words are you getting into you? How much are you trusting and believing those words at home, at Christians in Parliament, at church? How are you abiding in Jesus? That's the primary application from Jesus' words here. But I'd love to just help you for two minutes, if I can do, to think about what living righteously and justly might look like for you guys in particular. And I appreciate you, you're in all sorts of different jobs and all sorts of different contexts down there in Westminster. And so forgive me if, I, if I've missed the mark here. But if you're shaped to be wise in God's eyes, if you learn to call evil what God calls evil, then I think there are some practical applications for you guys in thinking like that. Um, you're going to want to be seeking justice and righteousness whatever your influence is in parliament and in government whether you're in a position of authority if you're a cabinet minister or in opposition to the government if you work in the home office or in foreign policy or, or in treasury wherever you are if you're somebody who is tasked in sitting in a dark room at the back of a building writing writing legislation be shaped by what god calls good Seek what makes for human flourishing according to God's design. In my area up here in Hull, we're very proud of William Wilberforce. His statue is in the town hall up here in Hull. And his willingness to stake his reputation politically on what was right rather than what was easy or popular is a great example for us as Christians, isn't it? Of uh, seeking God's glory and producing abundant fruit according to God's purposes. Secondly, I'd love you to help. Uh, the church as the people of God to see things the way you see them uh, as people who work in, in in government and in helping to draft legislation and helping to think through the implications of policy you will see things that the rest of us don't uh, you will see things that uh, we should care about that we don't realize we should care about in the rest of the church uh, please help us to see what's going on in the world and why we should care Help us to seek justice and righteousness as you are trying to seek righteousness and justice as well. Help us to see the culture for what it is. Whatever the rest of the world is doing, God's people have to know what it means to stand as Christ-like people, producing abundant fruit in every situation. May you be God's instruments in helping us as leaders of the church to see things clearly and, and educate God's people. And thirdly, perhaps this is for one or two of you in particular, I don't know you. Um, the church has faults. Uh, it has rotten branches, even sometimes in positions of leadership. It has godly branches who need to be refined, who need to see our corporate faults and sins. Uh, we need to be brought to repentance for those things. And as you look at the culture, as you look at us, as you look at the church working within the culture and you see injustice and unrighteousness in the church, would you call it out? Would you help us to repent? And when you see leaders in the church who have done terrible things, and it does happen from time to time, if you're in a position of power, if you have a voice, as, as Christians particularly, would you call us out and would you say, that's not okay? Uh, please encourage those who have a position of authority to press on the church 
to have good discipline. We want the church to be producing good fruit. And it breaks my heart and it should break all of our hearts when we see leaders in the church treating their congregations, their, their spouses, their children, uh, and, and all sorts of people wrongly. I'm not putting all of the responsibility for that on you guys, by the way. Please don't mishear me. But insofar as you see clearly, please help us to see. And insofar as we have done the wrong thing, call it out. Hold us to account for the sake of the victims and because we should care about justice and righteousness in the church. So would you abide in Jesus? Would you remain in him? And would you help the church so far as you're able to see as clearly as you do uh, the faults and things that need to be changed so that we might together produce abundant fruit to the glory of God? Shall I pray? That's probably a good thing to do, isn't it? Our Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is the true vine. Thank you that by uh, clinging to his words, even these words, uh, we might grow to, to produce abundant fruit in his service. Thank you for being honest with us about the state of your church, that we know that we are not as we should be, that there are faults in our own hearts and faults in our corporate life together. And I pray for these wonderful people here that you've, you've brought to us today, that they might see how they can uh, be people of righteousness and justice in their roles, and that perhaps for one or two here, they might have a voice that can be used to do good in your church, that we might be more righteous and more just and more caring and more aware of the, the, the things that we should care about, that we might produce even more fruit. Would you, Heavenly Father, prune at your church through these good folk? For Jesus' sake. Amen.